Good afternoon, uh, everybody, and welcome to this session on creating a safer haven for those who, who have been hurt and, and abused. Um, my name's Simon Bass. It is safeguarding. We are looking at how we can care, how we can respond to those who, who are hurting. And of course, although I say it's safeguarding, if we're looking at trauma, um, trauma uh, is, is, is more than just looking at those who may have been harmed uh, in, in terms of, of child protection, adult protection. It, it is a, a wider concept, but obviously uh, uh, you, you will understand a lot of what we look at today is how do we care for those who have been hurt in, in our church. In terms of my background, I've been involved in working uh, in terms of safeguarding in churches now for 25 plus years. I worked for 18, and a social worker before that, I worked for 18 years for an organisation now known as 31.8. They do have a, a stand uh, here. Um, but they were known in my day as uh, CCPS, Church of Child Protection Advisory Service. And as I say, I worked for them for a number of years, including as their chief exec. And uh, then in 2016, I uh, went independent, so Church's Safeguarding Consultancy. Again, I've got a stand. Please do visit me if you've got any safeguarding queries. Um, and, and, and in all of that time, obviously, I've, I've worked with, with uh, uh, churches, with uh, uh, survivors of abuse, victims and survivors of abuse, and with those who have perpetrated abuse. And I need to, 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 to say that, actually, because what we can understand in terms of, of those who have harmed, I think, is important. Um, and I'll, I'll just throw some things out as I, as I do. And one is this, perhaps, and understandably, but perhaps we have placed too greater emphasis on supporting those who have caused harm than we have in terms of those who have been harmed. And I'm careful about that because you can tell my background. Um, it's important. If we don't put boundaries in place for those who have caused harm, contracts, safeguarding agreements, we will never, I will never use the term covenants of care as sometimes are being called for the very reason of today because many survivors of abuse have said, where's my covenant of care? Why are you putting an emphasis on those who have caused harm and looking at, because we're church, aren't we? And we look at forgiveness, restitution, and all of those things. So um, uh, whilst that is important in understanding, uh, as I say, I think it's been quite neglectful, perhaps, of church uh, in terms of how do we support those who may have been harmed uh, and have been harmed. And of course, I'll look at terminology and, and uh, I, I hope you understand where, where my heart is coming from in terms of of some of that, that uh, uh, terminology. So, yeah, we should be that place of sanctuary. We should be the place that um, uh, everybody runs to. Hold on, sorry, I haven't told you something else which might or might not be relevant. I work very closely with Sarah Bale, uh, who uh, is the safeguarding uh, lead uh, nationally for, for Elim. 
and I go to an Elim church. I work across denominations, so it's a joy to actually be here uh, at uh, ELS, as I've been for a number of years, uh, and I go to the best church ever. Uh, my senior pastor told me to say that. No, um, uh, 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 Living Waters in Chorley. So I understand Elim as well, but I work, as I say, uh, across the denominations. And what we're going to look at today is, is uh, how can we ensure that our ch- churches are safe places, those safe sanctuaries um, it, that is so important because I, although a, a lot of what I say today might sound as if I'm knocking the church right and not just Elim but the church per se a lot might sound as if it's that it's because my heart's desire is to to see what church should be and it should be a safe sanctuary for all and we should be seeing those who have been hurt coming into the church sometimes irrespective of the fact that they've been harmed in the church. Do we believe in miracles? Of course we do, right? Of course we believe in miracles. I'm going to tell you what I consider as a miracle. I consider it a miracle if somebody who has been harmed in the church walks back through our doors. And it's perspective. And what I want to say is that perspective is this. For that person, they are walking back into a crime scene. If they've been hurt by a church officer or within the church, imagine what that means. Because we're looking at trauma and triggers and, the, and those things. So it is often a miracle if somebody still holds on to their faith because of the harm that's been done. Um, and and uh, as I say, I'm just going to read some things. We're then going to look at things. But be interactive. Please do. Just if you've got a question, just raise your hand. Um, you, you might want to disagree with me. That's perfectly fine uh, as well. Um, uh, but hopefully not. Um, so just, just, just uh, uh, be, be, be aware that you know, churches and, and, and other caring agencies, because we may be working for charities and, 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 uh, and other Christian organisations, because let's face it, we are a caring community, Christians, and, and I'm sure you've probably got other hats on than, than uh, uh, whatever you do in your church, uh, and maybe you're helping in a food bank, helping with the homeless, all, all of those things. Is that important today? Absolutely, because we hopefully will have a better understanding of those that we might be, be working with. But churches and caring organisations ha- uh, have recently become aware of the need for trauma-informed and to be victim focused rather than just seeing these as buzzwords and they can be buzzwords um, uh, they are descriptors of a biblical mandate um, on how we should respond to those who have been harmed and hurting who are in our churches sadly for some this hurt has been caused by those who profess faith and have roles within the church what is equally sad is that the response to the church when abuse has come to light hasn't always been about revealing light but rather keeping abuse in darkness this has caused further harm to those who have been abused um, now yeah, yeah I, I read that and I read that with, with, with a sadness a reality that that's that uh, unfortunately the church has not got a a good record and I'm going to perhaps overemphasize this so that we can see the importance of, of, of caring um, I'm just going to say this Although the church hasn't got a good record, nor is society, so don't think that the church in some way is different, but except we need to be different. What makes us special 
is because of our love of Jesus Christ. And if we are to fulfill that biblical mandate, then surely we should be that place where people are looked after. A question I'm often asked is, um, is the church any more dangerous than, than, than uh, any other uh, group or organisation or society at large? And this, the, the reality is, is, is this. In some ways, you can say, well, look who we work with. We work with children, young people. We work with, with adults in need of protection, vulnerable adults. We work with uh, survivors. We work with victims and survivors. But we also, as I've said earlier, work with those who potentially could cause harm because they've got a conviction. So in some ways, there is that dynamic. The church is... is uh, 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 the, our mandate is to the whosoever. So the church has that melting pot of, of everybody. And, and that's why we need to be very careful. But, but let me just be clear. Um, although the church does have a bad rap, statistics would say that the church is no different to society. Uh, uh, John Jay University did a long longitudinal study to see whether or not um, uh, they particularly looked at uh, uh, Roman Catholic priests, you know, uh, uh, do, uh, uh, do priests um, uh, because of celibacy, are they a greater risk? And they did this longitudinal study over a 20-year period, and I think it was 4% of priests, that's a lot, of, uh, uh, quite a lot, had abused. Now, obviously, all of these stats, and you'll hear me, I I'm sure, all these stats are based on known convictions. What else is out there is another matter, and I'll talk about that as we go on. But when they then compared that with known convictions of, of the geographical areas that they, they looked at, guess what? There was no difference. It was the same. Now, you may say, well, you know, we'd expect the church to perhaps be better, wouldn't we? Absolutely. But what I'm saying is our church is often a reflection of society. So we are no worse than no better, but actually that is why we need to have the right policies and procedures and everything else in place. And that includes caring for those who have been harmed. Um, there's some reports put up here. Some of you may never have heard of the ICSA inquiry, the Independent Inquiry into Child Sex Abuse, and that's fine. I'm just letting you know that there's been an inquiry, and I realise that some of you may not be from England and Wales, you may be from Scotland and from Northern Ireland, you may have been somewhere else, but Scotland and Northern Ireland, just to say you haven't lost out, there's been inquiries in both those areas as well, um, as there is. And these inquiries have looked at institutional ch uh, child abuse. And you can see that the Anglican Church and the Roman Catholic Church have, have both uh, uh, mentioned uh, there. Um, and uh, these inquiries, you can see in 2020, the last one here in September 2021. These two inquiries, there was 14 original inquiries, including was there a paedophile ring operating in Westminster? They're not my words, that's just what it was. Those type of inquiries. Um, and, and only looked at children, so didn't look at adults, but what did it find? It found that, that sadly, the Anglican uh, report and the Roman Catholic Church was that the church was not a safe place for children. And that when children or adults disclosing childhood abuse came forward, they weren't listened to. That's, that is the basis of, of those two reports. Now, now to tell you about something else. Parallel to these 14 investigations that have led to these reports, there was um, something called the Truth Project. 
victims and survivors were allowed to come forward. Well, allowed. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Right? We actually came forward. They had a mechanism to be able to say, this is what happened to me. And, and you will not be surprised, I am sure, to hear this, that when they came forward, one in five, I think that's 20%, forgive me those mathematicians here, one in five said they'd been abused within a religious institution outside of the Anglican Church and outside of the Roman Catholic Church because they'd been captured there, one in five. As a result of that, a more thematic uh, 15th inquiry happened looking at child protection in religious organisations. It looked at the Baptists, it looked at the Methodists, it looked at the Jehovah's Witnesses, it looked at Muslim and, and uh, 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 Jewish communities, 38 in total, and a very similar pattern uh, 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 arose. Now, I, you can say, well, yeah, but that's not, that's not Elim. You didn't mention Elim there. Every denomination was contacted um, by the inquiry to, for, for evidence. It just so happens that there was so much in the public domain relating to them that that's what what, what it used. And and before you know, because we're Pentecostal, aren't we? So you know, this can't possibly happen. I don't need to say too much. If you were to look at what's happening in Australia right now, in terms of of a report that came out, the Royal Commission into Institutional Abuse in Australia some years ago was critical of a particular Pentecostal denomination, Assemblies of God, as it happens, now known as Australian churches. And it was critical because abuse was disclosed and it went to a leader, and the, uh, wrongly I would say, went to a leader of, of that church who also happened to be the president of Assemblies of God at the time, and inaction happened. Now, I'm just telling you about the inquiry. Uh, everything else I say will use the word alleged. Why is that? Because there's now a police investigation relating to that leader. And although the church had, uh, there was two churches and they had different names, by today we understand that church is Hillsongs. And we understand that that leader that we're talking about is Brian Houston, um, who is also uh, being investigated for some other uh, uh, behaviours uh, with women. But, but what I'm saying is that it can happen in any church, which is why it's important that we're, we're, what we look at today is, is about how, how do we uh, help those who have been harmed come forward. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, a, a psychologist. Oh, before I do this, I just want to talk about, I was about to say I'm not a psychologist, and, and please forgive me, I'm just going to talk, you know, trauma 101, it's as simple as, but... I just want to say this, and I'll read what I've put here and explain, explain things. If we are working with those who, who have been harmed, um, I think it's important that we recognise language. How do we communicate with those who have been harmed which doesn't cause any further harm? All that I've talked about so far has been about re-traumatisation for some, and that, well, that will happen. And so we need to use language that people are comfortable with. I'll read what I've got here, and, you, and when I say I'm going to give you, at the end, uh, I'm just going to go through how we can respond appropriately, this is where I, I, I will say to you, 
I am going to tell you not what I believe, but what survivors say, because I'm going to read from uh, survivors' voices the mandate that they say that we should be doing as church, so that it's not my voice. I hope you will hear um, uh, other voices. But but in terms of of language, victims and survivors refer to people who who have experienced abuse. It is recognised that people have a right to self-define as victims or survivors. The former usually refers to all situations where people have been harmed or are subject to criminal acts, and the latter refers to people's lives after that harmful experience. Some people choose to identify as survivors to show that they've reclaimed power from the abuser, and furthermore, that notwithstanding the abuse, they, they've experienced positive outcomes in their lives, thereby expressing their strength to resist the abuser's uh, ability to dominate their lives. Others have chosen and not to use either term, uh, seeing this as a label and preferring descriptors such as uh, uh, those who have been uh, who have endured uh, childhood sexual abuse. Um, I just want to say say this in terms of of language. Let an, the individual determine what language they want to use. Some of our difficulties, and, and I'll come on to that uh, and, and probably re-emphasise towards the end, some of our difficulties are that many people are going to disclose abuse and it's not resulted in a criminal conviction. Um, and, where the, uh, and, and that in itself becomes difficult. And, of course, I believe in fairness, and, and particularly where somebody has been accused of something. But how do we, how do we, do we use language that's reflective of what, what people are saying uh, there? Well, I've got to say, um, just use the language that, that people are comfortable with. Um, yes, if there's a court case... And we're talking about that. We may need to use the word alleged offence simply because of that process there. But, but, but hear this also, that for many people, they are not going to see the justice in terms of our criminal justice system um, resulting in a criminal conviction. Right? Uh, fewer charged, even fewer are convicted. Um, I'm going to give you some statistics here, just to, to, to oh, I'll say some statistics. I mean, I can tell you, you know, uh, yeah, uh, one in four females, one in six males may have been abused, um, and I can throw other things out there. And of course, by, by, by abuse, if we look at uh, domestic abuse as an example, uh, one, in, one in four females, one in eight males are likely to have suffered, uh, I'm careful with the word suffered, to experienced um, uh, a, a, a domestic uh, violent incidents in adulthood. That's, that's some, what some of the uh, statistics uh, uh, will show. But I want to point this out to you, and this is often the, the, the difficulty that, that we face. Um, um, the NSPCC wrote a document, Why Children Don't Tell. They didn't write a book, Why Children Tell. It's none of your business, I didn't think I'd be believed, I was frightened, I was coerced, etc., etc. I, I love the person that harmed me. Yeah, recognise where abuse happens. 90% of abuse happens in a child's own home or that of the abuser. Um, you, you work that out. You know. so, so there's lots of reasons why children uh, don't tell. You are more likely uh, to be faced with an adult who says that they've been abused in childhood. How do we respond appropriately to that? And what's the, 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 the stats? Well, a, a stat just recently that I, I, I looked at, a study that was done 
shown that the mean age between uh, being abused and disclosure of abuse was 30 years, which means that if you're a 10-year-old, you're going to disclose uh, as, as a 40-year-old. Uh, um, and I thought, well, how... Knowing I was doing this, this seminar, I thought... You, you're not just going to believe that. I best do a little bit of research to see what other studies show. Uh, Allegra study um, in Canada showed that 60 to 80% don't disclose abuse in childhood. And the uh, age between disclosure uh, was 3 to 18 years in that study. Uh, and if people want these studies, I'm more than happy to, to you know, again, send me an email. Send me the stats and I'll, I'll do that. Um, uh, 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 Ch uh, Child USA showed that the average age at which somebody discloses, so we don't know what the age at which they were dis the abused, but average age at which they disclosed is 52. The median age is 48 in that study. Um, so, you know, and, and another study that was done in 2020, uh, Children and Youth Services Review, uh, showed that there was a, a 17 years before a victim uh, uh, disclosed, victim or survivor. So what, what's that saying? There's going to be a period of time you're more likely to be working with adults there. What does that mean in terms of the implication? And we'll look at that as, as, as we go on. The, the implication there is, how do you ruin a, a, an adult? You abuse them as a child. If you look at then the uh, uh, life chances of that person, look at suicide rates, look at addictions, look at anxiety disorders, et cetera, et cetera. You'll see that if you've been abused, th those things will increase. And we'll, we'll look at some of, some of that as, as we go on. So in terms of what is trauma, um, and, and this is where I'm going to, to, uh, to widen it. In our churches, we are likely to see people who uh, have suffered some form of trauma. I listened this morning uh, when, when uh, we had the presentation from Samaritan's Purse, right, and uh, talking uh, uh, about Ukraine. And, and you know, if, if, as our churches are doing, we are, we are asking people to, to come in and, and live in the UK, right, whether you come in here because of, of thinking of, of, of child sexual abuse and the implications in adulthood, I can tell you this might be helpful in terms of you will be working with those who have been traumatised by the experience that they've been, been had. Uh, listen to the stats we heard today. You know, a, a third of the population are displaced, and that will probably increase. You know, that, that, that's that's uh, where it is. So, you know... Um, I, what is trauma? And you've got a, 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 a slide there. But individual trauma results from, from an event, a series of events, or a set of circumstances by an individual. It can be physically or emotionally harmful uh, with lasting adverse effects on the individual's mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. You know, if we're talking about the, the intervention that... that uh, uh, children social care have in terms of children we talk about significant harm and that is what we're talking about not 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 just just something that is insignificant not something that is not serious but we're talking about about um, uh, uh, trauma that then our, co our ordinary coping mechanisms cannot cope with and so we then internalize that 
and uh, uh, all, all the problems that, that, that we, we have uh, uh, result. The word trauma comes from that Greek word wounding. And I think maybe we ought to recognise that. Right? What are we talking about? Lots of wounds. People who suffer trauma are suffering from being wounded, be it a physical, a psychological, a relational, or a spiritual. Here's something that, that, that I do want, do want to uh, um, uh, uh, say to, to you. I'll move, move to the next line. All right, is this. If somebody has been, been abused and they have a faith, not, and so they may have been abused physically, they may have been abused sexually, they may have been neglected, they may have been abused emotionally, yeah, all of those things uh, will have consequences there, and we need to recognise that. But also recognise this. If somebody has um, been, been uh, abused and they have a faith, they are going to be harmed spiritually. Where was God when this happened? Why did God allow this to happen? Uh, was I too bad for God? Have I done something wrong? All of those things. I feel shamed by what happened. God can't possibly love me. And all of those things. So just recognize there will be those spiritual uh, harm, harms as well. Um, and you've got there, you know, how do we become trauma-informed? Um, and, and, and you can see, you know, it's, it's realizing the widespread impact of trauma and understanding uh, potential pathways for, for recovery. It's recognizing the signs and symptoms of trauma in children, families, and in staff. And, and, and just to say this, if we are working with those who have, have been harmed, then don't, don't think that we will be immune to the effects of that harm ourselves. More and more we are recognising vicarious trauma. We are recognising that we can be affected by what we, we, we hear. I work, I provide supervision for a number of, of uh, 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 safeguarding professionals, you know, people like diocesan and safeguarding advisors. And of course they're dealing with, with abuse issues on a daily basis. And a part of that, and why do they have supervision, um, but a professional supervision outside of the supervision they, they have within their work setting. Why is that? It's a recognition that actually they need to make sense of what is happening because if they don't, they can suffer from some of the trauma that they've heard. Um, and and you know, when we look at trauma, we can recognise that the, the the nth degree of that for some will be post-traumatic stress disorder, um, disassociation. There, that's what we're talking about. And, and recognise that if, if you are working and journeying with somebody, then we need to get support for ourselves. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I recognise this also. If you wish to work with somebody who has been harmed, then recognise this. There is likely to be a long journey. Have you got... And I know we can say, you know, the Holy Spirit will guide us all the way. But have you got capacity? I'm asking that seriously. Um, what's, what's the time period between, between somebody disclosing, maybe going to the authorities, and a, and a court case resulting? 12 months? 18 months? Three years, thank you. Right, I, mean, I could have given an average, and thank you, yeah, three years. Yeah, that's not unusual, three years, right? And it's also not unusual that then the, then the court case doesn't result 
in a prosecution or it does and then all sorts of guilts and other things result you know that person's now been imprisoned etc and and so our, our support doesn't end at the verdict our support will be going on often for for months and, and years and of course here and can hear me right you can tell who i am so so hear, hear, hear me right right yeah um we we, we believe in miracles, uh, we've already established that, and people come forward for healing, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's absolutely wonderful. But for some people, there's a journey of healing that's going to happen, and it's not necessarily miraculously overnight somebody's gone forward for prayer, and isn't that fantastic? For many, there is that journey, and it's recognizing that. If we want to be a trauma-informed church, we need to recognize that trauma um, uh, is, is like, I suppose, like, uh, uh, this is my analogy just come out, so I've decided it's God. But it's like that, that ball of wool that's all knotted and whatever, and it's going to take a bit of time to unpick, right? I hope that's a good analogy and you understood what I mean, but it's just come to me. That's actually what trauma is about, right? And I don't knit, in case you think I do, or, or, um, or know anyone that does for that matter. But, but you know, you, you can see here, um, you know, it's, it's how we respond by fully integrating our knowledge about trauma in our policies, procedures, and practice guidance, right? I've already said to you, if we've got a policy, it probably says, da-da doesn't it? It says, uh, we, if we've got a disclosure abuse, we report this. How does that show what support we therefore give to um, uh, the person who's disclosed and the person, if, if relevant, uh, uh, who's been accused? But it's those type of things. Do we have the right policies and procedures there um, uh, that are uh, uh, trauma-informed and also uh, appropriate language? And, and you'll, you'll pick that up and, and, ensure, and ensure that we don't um, uh, cause re-traumatisation uh, for, for too often. I'll tell you some of the things that, that, uh, that I, I, I know. <clears throat> the dilemma for many is if you're dealing with a situation of abuse that problem of need to know, right? And I say it's a problem of need to know because what we're doing is we're protecting the person to, uh, uh, to, who has been accused, and that's right to do, particularly if it might lead on to, to, to criminal actions. But on top of that, we're, we're also, um, uh, we don't want to, to highlight who's been, been, uh, who's been accused because that might highlight who's been harmed. And how do we manage that balance when, I mean, I know none of your churches would have a rumour mill. That would certainly not be the case because we're healing. But people are talking. People want to know why this person stepped down from ministry. People want to know why this person's been crying for the past month. All of those type of things. How do we manage that and keep the need to know but also recognise that? And, and there are some of the dilemmas. Because in other situations, if it's a workplace situation uh, in the secular, the person's been suspended and you're dealing with that in a certain way. But we're dealing with people that are normally there on a Sunday morning and things have changed. And it's managing that carefully, which is why uh, I, I, you'll not be surprised to hear what I'm going to say here, which is why why um, it's important that, that uh, safeguarding officers, church leaders uh, 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 do contact Sarah and, and team in, in terms of, of help uh, along, along the way there. Okay. Um, uh, uh, and of course, I can just say to you, because I've noticed I've put some notes there, 
ELIM revise their policy on an annual basis. There is a, a, a national policy that each church is expected to keep. And I can tell you that there's also expectation, because uh, I've mentioned uh, uh, managing uh, those who might pose a risk, there's an expectation that if anyone in your church is under a safeguarding agreement, that Sarah is informed of that. So just so that you, you are uh, uh, aware uh, of that. Um, I, I, I'm just going to say, and I'm not going to stay on, on this screen uh, uh, for, for too long, and yeah, I'm just looking at what the time is. Yeah, there's lots of different forms of trauma. I've already said, whilst we are looking at, uh, at, at abuse uh, at the fa and, and neglect, the fact is that all of these are forms of trauma and war, natural disasters, medical things. You know, you may have a traumatic event that is outside what I'm talking about here, but the principles still apply um, there. As I say, these slides will be uh, uh, available. I know some of you I've just seen taking uh, pictures and uh, uh, some of you are writing down so I'll just be, be a hold off uh, uh, moving on uh, uh, to the slide uh, there the next slide you're not going to in any way be able to write down I know that um, because I'm just going to and I'm not even going to address it too much but, but the next slide is well there's too much information now isn't there right right uh, I, I do it I did it just for those that are writing um, um, you know, the, uh, uh, just, just because, you know, take the photo and enlarge it, but, but you know, Adverse Childhood Experience, ACE. Now, some of you may know about ACEs, uh, and, and it's basically studies that were done that, that show that if you, you know about ACEs, but you know it in another form, because you'll all, all, all have known about these psychological studies that say um, uh, what causes stress in your, your life. And that, you know, um, death is number one, I think. Number two is uh, uh, divorce. Um, number three is moving cows. Um, you know, you know, know, know those things. And, and, you know, somebody will say, well, that'll add five years to your life or that'll, that'll uh, take five years off, etc." Well, actually, those type of studies all come from from uh, the adverse childhood uh, uh, experience that, that was done. And as you can see, you know, there are, there are different uh, factors there. And, and the study it, it itself was showing that a person's ACE score is based on the number of categories of adverse childhood experiences uh, that they identify. Um, so if a child was physically abused, that would count as one, uh, no matter how many times that, that they were physically abused. What was the result of all, all of this? Uh, uh, it shows that, and if you, you have, what's the adverse effect in adulthood? Well, I've already said, for some it's disassociation, for others it's suicidal tendencies, um, etc. Um, and as I say, I'm not going to uh, stay on that because actually that's not what you come for. You come for, yes, we need to be trauma informed, yes, you can look at the slide, yes, you know uh, a little bit about what, uh, that. But how can we ensure that as a church we are trauma informed? And you can see there safety trustworthiness and transparency, peer support, collaboration and mutuality, empowerment, voice and choice. If you've been harmed, and this is not rocket science, if you've been harmed, you are not likely to trust people. Full stop. Right? 
And yet that is so much against everything that we believe in. I mean, I listened to, to a number of speakers today and, 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 and trust. And, and what do we sing? Trust in the Lord all the time, right? right? But what is our, our concept of trust? If, it's, if, if trust, when we've given trust, often we are vulnerable. And, and, and hear me right, in terms of, of uh, 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 abuse, every form of there is no hierarchy of, of, of abuse, by the way. It's not a case of, well, this person's been harmed physically and this one's been harmed sexually. Well, sexually must be top, mustn't it? And then physical and then emotional. There's no hierarchy, right? Um, uh, and, and I can tell you that there's always going to be an emotional form of, of abuse within the, within the other uh, uh, categories. But, and hear, hear this. In terms of abuse, what we're we talking about, it's somebody abusing their position of power and authority on somebody else. <laughs> to commit whatever uh, harm that is done. So the father who sexually abuses their child, there's a relationship there, father to child. Of course, we can all think of positions of, of, of uh, trust and we can think of what about those in our churches and, and what I've said there, you know, the pastor that, that causes harm, etc. Um, uh, so just recognise that if that is happening, that the word safety is going to be a foreign concept. That's the reality, a totally foreign concept. What does safe actually mean? Think about for yourself, what does safe mean? And I bet if you think of what safe means, you're going to maybe be fuzzy around it, but, but, but actually it's warmth and security. And I think of safe and I think of hugging. Now I've deliberately used the word hug there because you're already thinking, <gasps> you know, what, hug? But, but I feel safest when I'm with my nearest and dearest and we give each other a hug, right? That is a safe time. We both feel it. But you know... The difficult is when I start talking about physical touch there and what that may mean to people. So how do we manage that when I've just said there about hug and somebody shares something absolutely uh, dramatic right, and we want to care for them and want to express that care? How do we do it? Well, please seek permission before you go and hug them. Right? Oh, permission. Because it's about empowerment. It's about, about, about these things. Trustworthiness and transparency. I'm going to say this. Transparency is difficult for the things I've said in terms of, of keeping things on need-to-know basis very often. Um, trustworthiness um, is, is going to be difficult over the long term. You, uh, you, know, you may be misinterpreted right, in your actions, in what you say. Right? And, and, and some people will struggle Right, uh, you're 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 you know uh, uh, held quite highly on Monday, but when by Wednesday you're not. Don't put the blame on the person. Recognise why they don't trust you, because they've been let down all the way along. So so the person that says you will phone me on Wednesday, and you forgot, but you phone on Thursday morning, you don't think it's a big matter, right? But it is because actually you've you've destroyed their trust immediately because they were waiting for that call on Wednesday, right? And to us, it's a little thing, but to them, it's not. 
Uh, and I can go on. Sorry, I, I, I realise I'm, I'm not even looking at time. We've got 15 minutes to, 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 to do, and I want to just, just say this. Um, uh, and, and just recognise in terms of, of uh, uh, yeah, I, the, the church is important. Um, I just, although I've got a, a, a scripture up there, I just want to say this about scripture as well, recognising um, this, and I'm going to jump over a few slides so we get to, to what's important, but, but recognise this. Scripture has often been misapplied to people, um, and, rec- and, and that and can we read scripture through the lens of somebody who has been harmed and I'm just going to give you one example right um, uh, Psalm 91 is a beautiful beautiful psalm right and it promises there's so many promises there that God promises us and in that it talks about things like um, you you, uh, uh, you will not fear the terrors of the night nor the arrows that fly by day is how it reads and it's, it's poetic it's beautiful if you've been abused as a child and you've suffered night terrors how does that psalm read and hear me right, we do need to, 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 to use scripture, but it's about using things wisely. We talk about Father God, but if you've been abused by your earthly father, people will struggle with the, the concept of what you're talking about. Maybe the mother hen, which is also in Psalm 91, might, might be helpful. Um, I'm not going to, uh, you'll get these slides anyway, but, but how do we respond well to, to those who have been harmed? Um, and, and how we respond is, is, you know, unfortunately, often for survivors, it's been marginalisation. They've found themselves re-traumatised by the experience of the church. So we need to, to recognise that and, and often uh, uh, churches have followed to, under, uh, to understand the complex needs. Now here's something to also consider. Right? Um, uh, we aren't all experts in trauma care. Don't expect to be. You're experts in pastoral care probably, in whatever uh, I, 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 you're doing. You're, and so if we feel out of our depth, get the support that we need externally and don't try and do something else, right? And, you know, listen, listen, listen to this. If somebody needs a, 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 a brain surgery, right, and they come to your church, how do you respond to them? Do you say, well, look, you know, I've never done brain surgery myself, but I'm going to have a go, right, um, because that's the pastoral care I want to give you. Or would you say, well, we'll leave the brain surgeons to do that work and we'll provide the pastoral care around it. Now, you know how, how we're going to be. Don't think in terms of trauma, well, well let's, let's become trauma experts here. Let's understand all of these things. Yes, having, having a basic understanding is what today is about. But, but recognise that sometimes we can be out of our depth. Now, you may well be a psychologist that specialises in trauma and you may be able to provide that t- counselling and support. But, but recognise where our skill set sets are. And you will all have skill sets because of, you, uh, of, of the, your, your positions there. Um, uh, and understand this, that, uh, and, uh, as, if, as if this hasn't been said, said already. Um, uh, I, the effects of abuse can last, last for many a lifetime. Sadly, for a lifetime. Know about what local counselling services you are. Recognise that, that sometimes that silent church, and I've said why that may be, may be saying to the person that this, this isn't a safe place. Um, so it's important for, to recognise 
uh, all, all of those things. And of course, for too long, the church, it's strange really, the church has put their own reputation above the care needs of the person. I say it's strange because let's face it, God doesn't need us to do that, right? God's, God's reputation is God's reputation. God actually wants us to respond to those who have been hurt. It, 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 it's how it is. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I don't want to, 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 to... Well, actually, these are things that we need to recognise. Right, there can be trigger, trigger events for people. And, I, and I, I'm now completely off what I've got here, so, uh, but that doesn't matter because, because I'll... In terms of trigger events, recognise this, that for some people, those trigger events may be the celebrations of life that we have at church. And I'll explain, explain by what I mean by that. So... The birth of a child may be a triggering event. Why? Because we become quite protective of that child, etc. Particularly if the abuser is still around and may, ha- may then become uh, 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 within the circle of that family. So that might be a trigger event. Um, uh, marriage. Marriage may be. Somebody comes to you for marriage preparation and you're doing that and they say, well, I'm really looking forward to my, spending my life with, with this partner. God's brought us together, but I'm, I'm terrified of the intimacy of the marriage night. Understand that if somebody's been sexually abused. Death can also be a trigger event. I've known so many people who have waited for somebody to die before they've disclosed. Yeah, they've waited for the person who's abused or they've waited for maybe mom to, uh, uh, to, to go to glory because they didn't want mom to ever find out about what uncle did or dad did or whatever. So recognize some of those times that we would think, uh, I mean, obviously not joyous death, but those other occasions would be joyous. For some people, they're not be. So there'll be trigger events, but there's also sights, sounds, smells, touches, any of those things. Um, I, I know in terms of some of the work I've done with survivors for Anglican churches, you know, they won't go into a high church. Why? Because of incense. It's those type of things. Recognise there may be something. Flashbacks, recurring memories, feelings, force. Um, many people will have flashbacks and, and, and uh, um, uh, they, you know, when you can't predict, it's not like, oh, well, tomorrow I'll have a flashback. So just recognize that. Um, and of course, if you are going through a traumatic, stressful time, that can also then remind you of what has happened. And, and, uh, and often that's the occasion that we're offering that support. So uh, just, just recognize uh, uh, those things. Um, uh, uh, if you want to know, uh, uh, we talk about experts. If you really want to know about trauma, um, then I cannot recommend Diane Langberg uh, enough. Um, all her books, all, and you can go and listen to some of her, her YouTube presentations on trauma. Um, she is absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, there's a quote there from her, um, but uh, uh, yeah, 
please do look at Diane Langberg's uh, work. She's, she's an American Christian, uh, uh, Diane Langberg Associates. Uh, uh, I've uh, uh, had the privilege of meeting her several times, and she really uh, knows her, uh, her stuff. Okay, um, I'm going to, I don't know what time, we've got 10 minutes, so what I'm going to do is talk about, I, I said to you, I just wanted to end with not my words, but actually what what um, uh, survivor uh, groups uh, uh, say. And, and this is a charter that, that has been produced by Survivor Voices, which uh, the Church of England commissioned Survivor Voices to say, how can we ensure um, that, that uh, as churches we respond appropriately uh, there? Um, uh, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll just read through some of that. You know, uh, uh, in terms of organisation, Organizations and need to engage and recognize this that abuse is inherently unsafe. It leaves a long legacy uh, of, of fear. So it's about uh, safety. How can we ensure that safety? Empowerment. People uh, who are abusive dominate and take away personal power. How can we help people regain that power? And I've got to say, uh, many people talk about reconciliation. And let me just 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 say um, that you know because we talk about forgiveness and, 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 and the rest, right? It is a dangerous thing to put somebody in a room with somebody who has had all of that power. And we are thinking that this is a, a Christian mandate to do. And what we're doing is we are re-traumatizing that person. Um, so be very, very careful. That's not to say, uh, you know, on, on some occasions that has happened. But, but um, yeah, just recognize that uh, that power dynamic hasn't been broken. And all that will do is re-traumatize. And we then become uh, perpetrators of abuse ourselves. I'm going to repeat that. We then become perpetrators of abuse uh, ourselves. So empowering people who are abusive dominate, as I say, good engagement should be collaborative and must empower survivors to have control or uh, decisions uh, uh, making the, uh, themselves. Now hear me right, for some survivors, you, they may want to make decisions, but those decisions are taken away from them because of, well, actually, this has got to go through this system, yeah, etc. Um, but but we, we, we need to, to do so. Um, the promotion of self-care, how, how can we do that? Um, I, I'm conscious we've probably run out of time, so what I want to do is uh, 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 just say, here, here is what the Charter says. Our organisation will seek to actively, so our church will seek to actively involve people with lived experience of, of abuse in relevant projects, research and development. But hear, hear this, right? Um, whilst many survivors, and I hope I'm not, not contentious here, well, many survivors would say it's important that those with lived experiences uh, lead the way, Ab absolutely. But we mustn't make... Uh, victims and survivors of abuse, the experts only. Hear me right. Yeah, um, uh, I, I, I don't, you know, if, if, if somebody's uh, uh, got, uh, got, got an, uh, an illness, going back to, to, to the yeah, uh, brain surgery, you don't say, oh, well, you, you, you know about brain, you know, uh, uh, that, uh, go and operate on yourself. We never do that. We go to the doctor, and that's the same. We can't expect survivors to, to, be, to, to only be the answer. We need to listen, but we also need to say, well, you might need counselling here, you might might need this. Um, so so recognise that. Um, 
there. Uh, uh, in our work, we will describe and define abuse, both in its broadest sense as well as specific types of abuse, and all to help people who do not readily recognize that what they have experienced is abusive. We will enable people to describe the full range of their experience of abuse and recovery, both helpful and unhelpful. We understand that at times people's descriptions of abuse and recovery are not always linear, neat or coherent. We will use terms such as story, narrative and alleged with caution to avoid any implication that survivors have made up things. Words such as experiences, accounts, and journey may be preferable. Um, and, and I just w want to, to say that, say, uh, that yeah, in terms of our language, it's important. Yes, if we were to talk to somebody, uh, and there's a criminal case, we, we will use the term alleged appropriately because that is the, the, the situation. But very often, we're minimizing, or we're dismissing, or we're, we're almost saying we don't believe. And of course, that always has to be balanced. If somebody's being accused, we don't want want to, uh, 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 you know, to cast aspersions on people, etc. But we need to be sensitive with our language. If we can talk about the the, the story, that uh, no, we don't use story because that sounds too false. They've experienced. That's what we're talking about. It just aids that communication.